right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us. We had a little bit of a late start this morning, so hopefully we're, we're dialed in. Uh, this is Dave Everett of Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And anyway, we're just, uh, uh, we welcome you to our, our Sunday morning service this morning. <coughs> we're going to be talking about God with us. So anyway, uh, just to let you know, we have been updating our, or upgrading our live stream platforms. The goal is that we can live stream directly to Facebook, as well as to YouTube, as well as to our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. On our website, a lot of times you have to turn on the volume because it's embedded from uh, YouTube and Facebook, and so it's automatically, by default, uh, muted. And so sometimes you have to hover to the bottom right-hand corner and unmute it. So one of my main reasons of doing this is we've been live streaming on Facebook for uh, a number of years now, but uh, we've been wanting to live stream directly to our website where we can, you can worship with us, uh, where you can uh, give and donate. Uh, we thank you for those who have. And then we're also you can uh, uh, engage in our ministry, submit a prayer request or whatnot. And so if there's a more of a way to connect with us uh, through live stream uh, and whatnot, we do this for Sunday morning, uh, this morning, and then we also do this at, on uh, Sunday night for our Bible studies. We have a Bible study tonight on the true nature of God. I'll talk about that again in just a moment. And then we have, and that's at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. And then we do this again for another Bible study uh, on Wednesday nights on, at, 7, at 7 p.m. So anyway, uh, we have three platforms, and the reason we do our live stream here on Sunday mornings at 11.15 and not our worship is because we don't have a live worship band. And because we don't have a live worship band, uh, by copyright laws, Facebook and YouTube won't allow us to live stream uh, recorded music. But we do put the playlist on our website, and so you can uh, follow us anytime when you're listening. You can listen to our, our worship playlist that we update every week. So it's also on our, our, it's on our live stream page. There's a link to it as well as through our regular uh, website pages. Anyway. So, uh, thank you for joining us. I, I'm getting a thumbs up from Sherry that we're live on all three platforms, hopefully. And uh, so, we're good. We got a success. And so, we're just trying to make sure we this, this new system is trustworthy, uh, more so for you than for us. Uh, but if, it, uh, if it's not trustworthy for us, then it's not trustworthy for you because it's not working. Anyway, uh, we will have a Bible study tonight, a live stream on all three platforms on the true nature of God. And uh, normally this would be our second week for, for doing it, but uh, uh, we, we had such a flop last week I, and uh, we're going to re we, restart the whole book. Uh, luckily we were only on lesson one and it was no, no harm, no foul, we just restart. Uh, so we're going to restart tonight, on, uh, so it'll be part one tonight on the true nature of God. And then uh, we'll be uh, continuing our, our series on uh, the new you and the Holy Spirit on Wednesday nights at 7. We had a very good uh, message the last uh, last Wednesday night, and we'll continue that uh, uh, going forward. So the last two live streams have been a success. Uh, and we added some new things out. We had some hiccups, but hopefully we got we're getting beyond this, so we can go forward, and we can, this can be trustworthy again for you on YouTube as well as Facebook and our website. Our website doesn't automatically archive, but we have to archive it. But all of our messages for Sunday morning, uh, as well as uh, the two Bible studies on Wednesday and Sunday nights are also are archived on our website, and you can find them in a number of locations. So anyway, you know, since we've been doing this, even though our goal is to live stream on base, our website, 
we've actually had over almost 200, almost 300 new followers on, on YouTube alone in the last couple weeks. So that's awesome. And so anyway, we're excited about that. Also on the website, we have other things you can get involved with. We have free Bible classes and whatnot. And so we encourage you to get involved and whatnot. So anyway, without further ado, without further announcements and advertisements and explanations, let's go ahead and just jump right into the Word this morning. We're talking about, we just started a new series last week called God Revealed. And I'm going over the seven redemptive names of God. I'm going to be going over the name of Jesus too, which I may, I'm not sure, I may just entitle that a whole new message all itself because the name of Jesus is, a, is just a good enough message in itself. But we're talking about the, the, the seven redemptive names of God. I, I, I chopped that up. We're talking about the seven redemptive names of God. And so, and how they reveal God. God is revealing himself in these names. More specifically, God, uh, these seven names point to Jesus. They point to, to, God is revealing himself, but God is revealing Jesus to us in these seven names. And we're going to be looking at those over the next uh, several weeks. Jesus is being revealed. God has revealed himself, but he's revealing his son. And Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So then in one sense, they're revealing each other. If you, if, if you we can look at it from that point of view. Jesus said, you don't have to necessarily turn here, but he said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come. He goes on to say in verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and he begins to tell John what to write down in, his, in the book of Revelation. God is revealing himself from, from Genesis to Revelation in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament specifically, God is revealing himself through these seven redemptive names that reveal who he is. It reveals what he does. Reveal, it goes, I didn't plan this, but it goes with our Sunday night Bible study. We're going to be starting... <coughs> are restarting tonight on the true nature of God, it reveals the nature of God. It reveals who He is, what He does. And more specifically, it reveals who Jesus is to us. These seven redemptive names, I'm going to briefly list them again today, as I did last week. I won't, go, I won't be totally repetitive with them. But uh, the seven redemptive names, and when we talk about the first one today, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. The Lord, our provider. Jesus is our provider. Remember I said, these names are pointing to Jesus. We're going to God. God is our provider. Jesus is our provider. The second name we'll be going over, uh, sorry, next week is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha is the Lord is our healer. Jesus is our healer. By his stripes we were healed. And we'll be talking about a lot more about that <coughs> next week. God has been revealing this revelation that he is our healer since the Old Testament. It's not just new, but it's pointing to Jesus. The third name that we'll be going over is Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi is the Lord is our banner. Jesus is our victory. The Lord is our banner. We'll be talking about that later. The next one is Jehovah Makedish. That's a new one some have not necessarily heard before. But Jehovah Makedish, and it's the Lord who sanctifies. And we're going to see, be looking at that one. I'm really excited about that one. Because, of, <coughs> excuse me, in the midst of the law, in the midst of the Ten Commandments being revealed, God reveals himself as the Lord who sanctifies. He gives the Ten Commandments. He gives the law. But in the middle, 
Excuse me. Uh, talking too fast or something. But in the midst of God giving the law, he says, I am the one who sanctifies you. And we're going to be talking about that more specifically later. The next one we'll be talking about is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He's our peace. Then we'll be talking about Jehovah, I, cannot, I always chop this one up, Tzniskyu, which means the Lord our righteousness. And then the, the last one we'll be looking at will be Jehovah Shalom. Or, no, sorry, excuse me, I already said that. Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah. That just sounds like a fun word to say. Shammah. The Lord who is present. How many of you know Jesus is always present? He said he'll never leave us or forsake us. We'll be looking at these seven names more specifically. We'll, we'll be uh, entering it. We'll be talking about Jehovah Jireh today. But, uh, you know, again, i just uh, recap a couple things that we talked about last week. The, the word Lord. There's a couple different words for Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. You'll see this specifically more when you read the King James Version. Because the King James Version will uh, either... All caps will we'll put all caps the whole word Lord, or they'll put just a capitalize the letter L for Lord. Uh, and there, there are actually two different names. And you'll see this, and I think it's excuse me, Psalm one ten, where the Lord said unto my Lord, sit, sit until I make your enemies your footstool. And uh, there are two different kinds of Lord. The, the, when it's all caps, is Yahweh. It's talking about God. They're both talking about God. But one is Yahweh, the other one is Adonai. And we'll be looking at those a little more specifically a little bit later. But one's Adonai and one is Yahweh. Yahweh, and uh, I'm not going to go into a full study on this, but the word Yahweh, the word when it's all caps, especially in the King James, it's, that, that name of God is very sacred to the Jews. It's very sacred to them. It's the name of God. It's the name of Yahweh. And it basically means, and there's different uh, variations in this, but uh, it basically means the all-existing one. God is the all-existing one. No one created God. He has always been existing. He's the all, or he's, in other words, the self-existing one is actually to be more accurate. The self-existing one. The one but it's the self-existing one, this Yahweh, who's revealing himself as the Lord, Je Jehovah Jireh. It's also, it's also translated Jehovah. It's he, our Lord, our God. He's the the self-existing one is revealing himself as our provider, as our healer, as our righteousness, as our banner, as our the one who sanctifies, as the one who's always present. And the list goes on. Okay, God is revealing the self-existing one. Is revealing himself as 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 not only who he is, but also what he does. Uh, we also talked about briefly last week about how. We are not trying to find God. God is not hiding. Even when man sinned, when Adam sinned, God didn't hide from Adam. Adam hid from God. God, since the Old Testament, God since the beginning of time, has actually been pursuing us. God, had, we're talking about God is revealed, or God revealed. God has been revealing himself since creation. And he's been revealing Jesus to us since the foundation of the world. In these names he reveals to his people, they are what he proved himself to be. God proved himself to be our provider. God proved himself to be our healer. God proved himself to be our banner of victory. 
God proved himself to be our righteousness and ever, the ever-present one. And the list goes on. And lastly, we'll be talking about Jesus. The name of Jesus. And I might, like I said, I might even make this a whole serious session itself in the conclusion of this current series. But everything God is, everything God stands for rep, and, and represents is found in the name and the person of Jesus. This includes every trait of God. This includes all seven redemptive names that we're going to be talking about in this series. And they're part of the atonement. Okay, these seven names are part of the atonement. And anyway, I'm going to talk about this more when we go forward. But Jesus was the manifestation of, of these redemptive names of God. Jesus was the manifestation of God revealing himself. Jesus says, if you see me, you still see the Father. It says in Hebrew that Jesus is an express image of his person. It's an express image of God. Jesus was the manifestation of the reputation of God. These seven names prove what God did. What God proved himself to be. And Jesus manifested who God proved himself to be. God, Jesus, manifested these seven names. And they're all manifested in Jesus and in the name of Jesus. Jesus, who is our Lord. I mean, you know, we, we, we confess Him as Lord. We, we believe in our heart and we believe in our heart and confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's how we become saved, according to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And Jesus, who is our Lord, is, the, is our provider. He is our healer. He is our banner, our victory. He is our Lord, is our, our, our Jesus our Lord is our peace. <coughs> Jesus our Lord is the one who sanctifies us. Jesus our Lord is, is our righteousness. Jesus our Lord is our ever-present one, and he is our shepherd. Jesus our Lord is our everything. We talked real briefly last week from Exodus chapter, chapter 3. As we talked about Moses at the burning bush, as he had his own encounter with God, like God, Abraham had his encounter with God, like Isaac and Jacob each on their own accord had a personal relationship with God. God, through that up till Moses, had to rebuild himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we had talked about last week how we all, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Moses, we all need to have our personal relationship with God. We put, we need to, not only do we need to have a personal relationship with God, we need, to have a per, per, we need to have a personal revelation of who God is. God revealed to Moses that He is the I Am. He wasn't created. He's a self-existing God. He's Yahweh. He's an I Am. And it points, again, all this points to Jesus. And we'll, we'll be talking about this more as we go forward. Moses wanted to know God personally. And he wanted an assurance that God was going to be his God. That God was going to be Israel's God. And this is a process that we must all go through. I can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. <coughs> Your pastor can't do it for you. We need to have a personal revelation of God, and we need to have a personal relationship with God. God does not have grandchildren. We are all have to have a personal relationship with God, our Father. 
We have to have a, we each have to have the Holy Spirit reveal who God is and our position in Him. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament on who we are in Christ. We had earlier this year, I think it was uh, this year or even last year, we had a message or a series called the "In Christ Realities." There's over 300 scriptures that talk about who we are in Christ. And in this walk that we call Christianity, in my personal walk, I have discovered the more I discover who God is, the true nature of God, the more I understand who I am in Him. Both Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses discovered who God was. And discovering who God was, they discovered who they were. And as they discovered who God was and who they were, they also discovered their purpose. They also discovered what God called them to do. And when we understand who God is, when we understand who we are, when we understand what God is calling us to do, we can fulfill our destiny. All three of these revelations point to our destiny. So let's begin to talk this morning about Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. Jesus our Lord is our provider. Are we making sense so far? So let's go ahead and go, go to Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and show with me. In Genesis chapter 22, we're going to be reading a little bit of context here. We'll start at the beginning of chapter verse 1. Talk about Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Now I just want to comment on that real quick. Just at the beginning of verse 1. God approaches Abraham. You know, one of the things I love about the Old Testament, and I love this as a child. That God talked to man, and man talked to God. God talked to Moses, and Moses talked to God. God talked to Abraham, Abraham talked to God. There was a relationship. That has always intrigued me, even since I was a child. I've never been interested in just religion. I might not have put in those words as a child, but I, I've never, and that's always has been distasteful to me. I, if, if, if I'm going to serve the God of this Bible, then he needs to be real. In other words, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in playing games. I'm not interested in being religious. I'm interested in the real deal. You know, there's, there's some foods, you know, don't give me the generic brand. I don't want a generic brand. I want the real deal, or I don't want it at all. There's some foods that are generic, I don't want it. You know, I know a lot of people are eat healthy, different things, gluten-free, fat-free, all this stuff. A lot of times, and Sherry knows me, that a lot of times I go to the restaurant and it, and it says something's taken out of the recipe. I don't want it. I want the real deal. I want the original. And I, I'm not against eating healthy, but don't give me the fake. Don't, 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 give me the, don't give me the substitute. Don't give me the generic man. Don't give me something that, that doesn't have all the ingredients in it. I want, I, want I want something with all the ingredients uh, in it. Anyway, that, uh, I'll let that go. But here is Abraham, I mean God approaching Abraham. He says, he calls him by name, Abraham. And Abraham responds, here I am. I just want to make a quick little note about that. You know, when God speaks, respond. When God speaks, respond. 
You know, uh, some of us don't even spend time enough with God in relationship with God that we don't even hear Him speaking. But when God speaks, we respond. We should know the voice of our shepherd. We should know the voice of our Father. God is revealing Himself to Abraham. God wants to reveal Himself to you. And when God begins to speak, respond. Samuel had to learn that. He had to learn to go back and say, here I am. We need to learn the voice of God. We need to learn the voice of the Spirit. We need to say, here I am. And it goes on to say, verse 2, And then he, God, said, Take now your son, your only son. We'll come back to that. If you notice here, God tells, tells Abraham he only has one son. He actually has Ishmael. Uh, but he, God doesn't recognize Ishmael in this case. He says, Take your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now just real quickly, this Moriah, many scholars believe, and I concur, that this is Jerusalem. Some believe that this is, this, this is the exact location where Solomon built the temple, uh, which will be years later at this point that we're in our study. And uh, so that's what it's supposed to go, verse 3. So Abraham rose early. I like that. Instant obedience. He got up the, he got up the next morning. He rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood with the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, now I don't know what you're noticing here, but I'm noticing a lot of uh, uh, connections or symbolism with the cross. The third day. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son, he said. Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You know, the, that's, it, this is, a lot of this is interesting, too, because uh, they talk about a burnt offering, and yet the, the law had never been instituted yet. It's going to be 400 years before the law comes. They already understood about the burnt offering. Isaac understood about the burnt offering. They, they, knew, they, knew, that they knew about a lamb. You know, the Exodus, the first Passover is where the lamb was introduced for the Passover. But they already understood, Abraham and had already taught, and Isaac already knew about a lamb in the offering. I, pause here just for a moment. Keep your finger here. We're not done with Genesis 22. But go with me real quick, if you can. If you can toggle with me to Galatians 3, verse 8. And I want you to just notice something here real quick. It says, The scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us who are not Jews, by faith, Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. There's a whole study here, I'm not going to go into all of it right now, but the gospel was preached to Abraham. We understand in this church that the gospel in its simplest form is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It includes the, 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 the birth and it includes his ascension. But in the simplest form, the, the, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus our Lamb, who was crucified for us, who was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Okay, and we see all that in, the script, in these passages of scriptures that we're reading in Genesis 22. The gospel was preached to Abraham. I just want to make a mention of that. So the gospel is being preached to Abraham, but it, and the, I mean, they have all the ingredients of, of the foreshadow of the, of, of the, of the cross. They already know about the lamb. They already know about the burnt offering. They already have a son, the only son, and different things of that nature. Somewhere between when Abraham comes and when God and Abraham begin to have a relationship, God communicates the gospel to him. And he specifically says in Galatians 3.8 is that when, he's, when he talks about how he is going to... Uh, uh, let me just read it again. When he says, uh, "In you, all the nations shall be blessed," this in him, in in the loins of Abraham is Jesus, okay, our Messiah. Uh, and and, and in the, he says, "In your seed." And there's a whole discussion on this in, in the book of Romans. I'm not going to go, and also in the book of Galatians. I'm not going to 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 teach on all that yet. But uh, the promise is is in his seed, okay. In other words, I'm trying to get to a point here. Abraham knew the promises of God. Abraham knew, before even Isaac came into being, that God had made a promise to him. But not just to him, but to his seed, which was Isaac. Okay? God, Abraham knew that God's promise to him concerning Isaac would come to pass. God, Abraham knew that God's promises according to his word, God's promise according to his seed, would come to pass. He knew this before he even had a child, and he knew this even in the, in the midst of him uh, being asked to offer his son Isaac. Abraham knew that God's word would not return to him void. Isaiah 55, verse 11. He also says, and again, keep your finger on Genesis 22, we're coming back. But talk real quickly to me with me to Hebrews chapter eleven. In Hebrews chapter eleven, we're looking at verse seventeen, and it says, and then again, Hebrews eleven is the heroes of faith. But it says, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom. It was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding, verse 19, that God was able to raise him, Isaac, up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. My point being, and the reason I talk with it here, that Abraham believed God to the point that even if he offered up Isaac, that God could raise him, Isaac, from the dead. Abraham was that convinced that God's promise would come to pass. Even if he had to raise a son. He just, he just flat out trusted God. In his obedience, he trusted God. This is so awesome. He knew that God would raise his son from the dead. He knew that God would keep his word. He knew that God's word would come to pass. 
No matter how old he was before he had his child, even if he God told him to kill his son, he knew that God was going to raise him from the dead because he knew that through his seed, Isaac, the promise was going to come. That's awesome. In other words, he, we're, we're painting a picture here that God is our provider. You see, God, we're talking about God revealed. God revealed himself as our provider. Jehovah Jireh. Okay? Now we're getting to the good part. Verse 8. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Isaac was asking Abraham, I've seen the fire, I've seen the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham's response to his son says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide for himself the lamb. God is a provider. And God is going to provide for himself a burnt offering. That is so amazing. There's Jesus in here. I'm sorry. There's Jesus there. God can provide Jesus. God can provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham knew that. Abraham was convinced. He, even if he had to raise him from the dead, he didn't know how this was all going to play out, but Abraham was so convinced that, that he knew that God would provide for himself provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Let's go ahead and read on. And then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Here is Abraham responding again. And he said, do not slay Lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your truly son, from me. Verse 13. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket <coughs> by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I want to toggle real quick to the King James. And read uh, verse uh, 13 again. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the, in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. And it is said, to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. That's where we see the first name of God revealed. God has revealed himself, and he revealed himself through Abraham, and he's revealed himself through us. That God is a provider. That he will provide for himself the lamb for the, the offering. You know, 
I believe when, when Abraham was preparing to offer up Isaac in obedience to God's direction. Now, it says that an angel of the Lord stopped him from slaying his son. And he, he says he looked up. It says he looked up. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. Geographically, based on the location where, where Abraham was, if you do enough study, you will notice that when Abraham looked behind him, he was looking at Calvary. And right there at Calvary was the ram caught in a thicket. You know, what... Whether there are a lot of details, you agree with me or not agree with me, that's not, 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 not so important. But what we do see and what we do know, that this ram came. And this ram became the substitute for Isaac. In the same way that Jesus was our substitute. That's the gospel. Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. The Bible talks about that First John. He also talks about that in, in uh, um, Romans chapter 3 and other places. Jesus is our propitiation. We see that in the same way that this ram became the substitute for Isaac, Jesus, who is the lamb, this lamb, Jesus, who is the lamb, became our substitute. That's the first time this substitute is being seen. Ram, and again, it just falls back to Galatians chapter 3, 8, where the gospel was preached to Abraham. Abraham saw the gospel, okay? And part of this gospel that he saw was that God was going to provide for himself the lamb. Part of the gospel Abraham was taught, and Isaac was taught, was that God was going to be our provider. And it was in this moment... Now the ram being caught in the thicket that got Abraham in verse 14 said, because and Abraham called the name of this place the Lord will provide. This place, Calvary. This place, Jerusalem, Moriah. This place, the Lord will provide. This ram that speaks and points to Jesus. God is revealing that not only he is a provider, a lot of times when we think of God being a provider, we think of finances, and we'll talk about that. <clears throat> but the number one thing God has provided for you and I is salvation, redemption in Jesus Christ. God has provided for himself a sacrifice. And God has provided Jesus to be our atonement. Real quick, talk with me if you can to John chapter 8. Verse 56. He's talking, and Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and I'm not going to go to the whole context. But he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, the day that he was living in, and rejoiced and was glad. What day was Jesus in? And Jesus came. This child, the son who was born into us, came to die that we might live. This Jesus that came to us is this ram caught in the thicket. Abraham did not see the, uh, uh, Jesus' day physically, but he did see it in his heart. He did see it 
in a spiritual. Abraham got a glimpse of what Jesus would do. Abraham saw his day. He didn't see it physically, but he saw it spiritually. And Abraham got a glimpse of what Jesus would do. And what would Jesus do? What would Jesus, God our provider, do? He would provide for himself a sacrifice. <coughs> Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our propitiation. Right, am I making sense this morning? I know I can't see your head nod, so I'm, I'm looking at my wife whenever I ask that question. So she's nodding for all of you. There's a lot of responsibility there in that little nod. But Abraham got a glimpse of what Jesus would do. And what did Jesus do? He was our provider. He was a lamb who took away the sins of the world. Abraham saw in the fact that his heir, who would carry the blessing of God, was not his firstborn, but the son of promise. There's a whole teaching here, and I, I'm not going to... I'm trying to reframe myself and go into all of this teaching about Abraham. But the promise was not to the firstborn, which was Ishmael, but the, 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 the promise to the heir was to the son of promise, Isaac. This is a whole teaching that I don't have time to go into. This illustrates that salvation comes by faith. It comes by promise, not by works. Abraham did not see Jesus' day with his physical eyes, but he did see it with the eyes of his heart. Abraham was seeing things that could not be seen, according to 2 Corinthians 4.18. He was walking by faith and not by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 7. Abraham saw, so we're, talking, we're talking about God revealed. And specifically, we're going through the seven redemptive names of God. And specifically, this morning, we're going over the first name, the Lord our provider. And Abraham saw this revelational truth. That God, who is our Lord, God, Jesus, who is our Lord, is our provider. He himself is our provider by offering himself. Am I making sense with that? God is revealed himself. Yes, he's a provider for provision, for healing, and different things. We're going to talk about that. But he's also our provider for the, for the source of all of this, which is salvation. And he himself, our Lord, Jehovah Jireh, our Lord is our provider. Jesus provided himself as our sacrifice. That salvation, that provision is greater than any monetary provision we could ever receive. Abraham saw the truth revealed that Jesus our Lord is our provider. In other words, he, believed, he heard it, he saw it, he believed it, and he became, and, said, and this is the whole teaching, that he became justified. It's called the justification by faith. The just shall live by faith. We too, Hear the gospel. We believe it and are justified. We are justified the same way Abraham was. By hearing the gospel, the same gospel that Abraham heard and saw. He saw it 
in advance. He saw the shadow that pointed to Jesus. We have seen the real thing through Jesus Christ. Am I making sense? And go, if you can get back to we, with me to Genesis 22. And Abraham called the name of the place called the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh as it is to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, Be by myself, I have sworn to the Lord because you have done this thing and I have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. There's a tremendous blessing here. God swore by himself. But he didn't have to swear. He didn't have to do this because God's word is forever. Amen? There's a whole teaching in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm not going to go into it. I don't have time this morning. But it reveals that God did this to increase our faith in this covenant. That God, if God swore, not only, not only is God worth forever, anything God says we, can, we should be able to believe. But God made a covenant with himself. He swore by himself. So that we, it we increase our faith. You know, I've heard so many people ask me, I want, I want God to increase our faith. <coughs> we just need to trust the covenant. We have an eternal covenant with Jesus that God swore by himself. And if we, we, we know that God can't lie, but he swore, he swore to himself. He can't lie, and he swore to himself who can't lie. So this covenant that God has made is absolute. And that shouldn't, he said this to increase our faith. God called Isaac his only son. He, he said that again right here. Um, verse, at the end of verse 16. Because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. He had Ishmael. But even God recognized Isaac was the only seed of promise. If Isaac had died at Mount Moriah, the promise of the covenant people coming from Abraham would have died too. But Abraham even reasoned that God could raise him up from the dead because God was going to keep him word. But I also want to point out something here real quick. From verses 17 and whatnot. He says like, he's done this because he, he can obey his voice. Did you, I mean, are you seeing this? Uh, verse 18, he goes, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Are you seeing that word? Obedience. You know that word obedience. <laughs> I, I want to go off here just, just a moment. I don't want to spend the whole time on this. But I want to talk real briefly about the importance of obeying God's voice. <clears throat> Isaiah 119 to 20, you don't have to turn there, talks about if we are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. See, the idea of obedience is stresses some of people who some grace people out. I want to say that again. The idea, the concept, the teaching, the concept of obedience stresses some people grace people out. They think I'm talking about performance. 
But can I can I just be be somewhat frank with you this morning? Obedience is not just following a bunch of rules. True obedience stems from a true relationship with God. True obedience stems from a true relationship with God. If you are in a loving relationship with God, obeying His voice is not stressful. If, I can rephrase that. If you are in a trusting relationship with God, obeying His voice is not stressful. If you are in a relationship with God, that's what we're talking about, then obeying your Lord, your Master, your God, is not stressful. If you know Him, if you trust Him, if you know He will provide, if you know your Lord <coughs> will provide for Himself a sacrifice, if you know He will keep His word, if you know He is your good, good Father, if you have a true relationship with God, then obeying His voice is not stressful, it's not grieving. It's not even work. If you obey Him, His voice, He will provide for you. If you trust Him, He will provide for you. The just shall live by faith. Now, a lot of you think I'm talking about performance. No, I'm talking about trusting Him. There's a difference. Abraham was justified by faith, and because he believed God, he was able to obey God. <coughs> he wasn't justified by his obedience, he was justified by his faith. But faith without works is dead. He proved he trusted God by his obedience. His obedience by itself didn't save him. Am I making any sense? His obedience was a fruit, was the byproduct, was the was the reaction of him trusting God. There's a difference. Obedience stems from our from our love relationship we have with God. This can happen in a a marital relationship, a parent-child relationship. You obey in, in those healthy relationships because you love that person. And it's not stressful. And we can all be selfish, and usually when we're selfish, it's stressful. So the problem is not the obedience. The problem is you're being selfish. Amen on me. Or on me. See, when obedience stems from a, a relationship with the, our Lord, our God, it's a beautiful thing. Trusting God is a beautiful thing. He already said He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we've ever asked or imagined according to His power that is at work within us. We just need to trust Him. We just need to let Him work in us. 
Jesus, our Lord, is our provider. But if God, if God, if God told you that if you go here, you'll get a million dollars. Well, if you're going to follow what he said, go there, that's obedience. <laughs> and if you got a million dollars by going from here to there, would that be stressful to you? You know, we, there's a difference between trusting God and being complacent. Being, we're not talking about being lazy and passive. You know, when we, God has wisdom. God has direction. Sometimes he'll do it for us. Sometimes we have a part to play. <coughs> but we need to trust him. He's not after our provision. He's after our faith. Are we trusting him? Are we trusting what we're doing? Or are we trusting him? There's a difference. And I'm making sense. Go with me real quick to Matthew chapter 6. Figure verse 25. I'm not I'm gonna read a little bit of context. We've read it before recently. But therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his statue? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, <coughs> excuse me, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31. <coughs> excuse me. Therefore do not worry, saying, <clears throat> what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's a whole teaching here about not worrying about the things that we need. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to live. These are basic things. God, in the essence, you know, let me just say this, first of all. Our culture today is very instantaneous. They do not want to commit to anything. They won't commit to jobs, they won't commit to work, they won't commit to church, they won't commit to anything. And it's, it's vanity. But, I want you to understand something. We are not in a lifetime commitment with God. We are in an eternal commitment with God. There's a difference. We are not just committed with God to this lifetime. We are in an eternal relationship with God. We have an eternal covenant. Am I making sense? We need to stop looking at things just from a lifetime. Well, sometimes we're just looking at the moment. But sometimes we need to... We're not, and sometimes we need to look at our lifetime. It's a daily walk. It's a lifestyle, yes. But it's an eternal lifestyle. We need to look at life from an eternal perspective. 
not an earthly or natural one. We don't need to worry about things that the world worries about. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live. We need to think about eternal things. Am I making sense? Don't lay up. In other, in other scriptures, Jesus talked about how we are not to lay up our storehouses here on earth. But we are to have treasures which are in heaven. God will bless us here on earth. I'm not excluding that. I'm actually teaching towards that. But the meaning of our life needs to be focused on the eternal purposes of God. Now, am I making sense? God will bless, God said, if you will focus on the eternal things of God, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, I will take care of all the earthly things that you need. We're talking about God revealing Himself as our Lord who provides. We can't exclude the word Lord. He's our Lord. He's our Master. But our Master, our Lord, is our provider. And God is revealing Himself in Jesus at the cross. But Jesus also said, Seek first my kingdom. Stole, he's in other teachings, He says, Don't store up storehouses on earth, but put your treasures in heaven. Seek first my kingdom. Have an internal focus. Don't be so limited on a natural purpose. But there is an eternal purpose of God. That I have instilled in your seed, because you're not born again a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God. And when you sow, and when you have an eternal perspective in mind, in the kingdom of God, God says, if you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I will provide everything you need. There's a, there's a sense of obedience in there, but it's about trusting it's about seeking Him first. <coughs> but some of us are so focused on the natural things, we don't have time for the eternal. But God says, no, put me first, and I will take care of everything else. Are you kidding that? We have it backwards. Some of us are so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. Some of us are so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. <laughs> but... That's another message. Am I making sense? We need to worship Him. We need to trust Him that He, our Lord, is our provider. We do not need to live in a spirit of worry and fear that God will provide. He said in this way, in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare His own Son, how much will He not give us all things? God is our Lord, who is our provider. Turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 22. I'm running out of time. Luke 22. And I want to look at a verse real quick here in verse 35. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now when Jesus sent out the twelve and he sent out the, the seventy, he told them not to take anything with them. You know, that goes against some of our thinking. <laughs> it seems wise to take things with us if we're going on a journey. Does that make sense? But Jesus told them not to take anything with them. 
He says, go, preach the gospel, but don't take anything with you. That goes against our grain of thinking. Some of us won't do ministry because we've got to get all, the, all of our T's crossed and all of our dots and eyes dotted. But Jesus said, don't take anything with you. And then he makes this statement in, in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 25, says, And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. I'm just making a simple little point here. Jesus sent them out. He said, don't take anything with you. <coughs> he said, when you didn't have, when you didn't have a money bag, a purse, money, when you didn't have a, a, a knapsack, I'm assuming that's food, when you didn't have sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no. I believe God, I believe Jesus was teaching them something. I am your provider. He, he provided for them in the wilderness. He, God has always provided his people for his people when they trusted him. He's our Lord. When we trust our Lord, when we trust our King, he provides for us. When we're not trusting it, we're doing it until he can't. Am I making sense? See, through Jesus we have provision. We're not begging him to provide for us. But we need to trust him. Go with me real quick and I'm, I'm wrapping this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to switch the focus just a little bit. We're beginning verse 8, and he says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. Now, what's the, what's the operative word here? All. I know I didn't finish the verse, but I, can't, I want to read this again. And God said, is able to make all grace. How, how much grace? All grace abound towards you, that you win always, <coughs> having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Are we, by the grace of God, are we supposed to have sufficiency in all things? Are we supposed to have abundance for Every good work. As it's written, he has the spirits abroad, has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. How now may he who supplies seeds as a sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness? He's talking about sowing and reaping here. If we understood this, and we believe God in the same way Abraham believed God in offering Isaac, even knowing that God could raise him from the dead. If Abraham could believe that God <coughs> can raise, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, raise Abraham Isaac from the dead, how could we also not also believe that God will get, bring back in multiplication what we sow for his king, for his purpose? 
If we have an eternal perspective of mind and we trust God and He says, Give and it will be given unto you. God is our provider. And John says it this way in 1 John, we will be like Him when we see Him as He is. God is a provider. We are born of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be the children of God. If God is a provider, He's our Lord. <coughs> then we should be like Him. I'm, hoping, I'm, I'm hacking. I'm sorry about that. I'm just getting excited this morning. I have a dry throat this morning. But, uh, God is a provider. God has promised to provide as we seek first his kingdom. It's right. That's his nature. God has revealed himself as a provider. And we're born of God. Like father, like son, or like child. If he provided, we should provide. If we have an eternal perspective, then we can sow to his kingdom. We can seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. We can trust God at his word, just like Abraham trusted God at his word. That he could, he would provide through Isaac. Even if he had to raise Isaac from the dead. If we give our money, in a sense we are burying that money. Just like you bury a seed. And it will come back to you a hundredfold. Am I making sense? God says that we will have all sufficiency in all things. So give. Sow your seed. And it will come back to you a hundredfold. Give to every work. You see, giving is a witness to people. Giving is a witness of the nature of God. Giving is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Excuse me. Okay? Giving is the nature of God. But we can give abundance to every good work. <coughs> we have this backwards in a lot of churches today where we're the ones having the rummage sales and the bake sales trying to get money. And I'm not against those in and of themselves. But the Bible says we should be the head and not the tail. We should be the lender of many and the power of none. We shouldn't be having fundraisers to get money. We should be giving to every good work. Am I, am I making sense? The early church, they there was so much money being passed around that they said no one was in need. They were selling houses. They were selling. They were doing everything to give it to every good work. <coughs> Jesus said it this way: "Freely receive, freely give." If we did things economically the way God taught it, the way Jesus demonstrated, the way Abraham uh, was an example of, we would, and Abraham became, it said, very rich, it says. And Isaac became exceedingly rich. Jacob, Jacob became very rich. Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. If we trusted God, as our Lord who provides. When we trusted the promises of God. We would trust the covenant relationship we have with him. That we would do what God tells us to do with our resources. Our homes, our finances, our cars, everything we have. 
and God would multiply it back to us. God would take care of our needs, and, and there would always be 12 baskets left over. There would always be abundance. There would always be enough if we would just trust God that he can use the oil that's in our jar. He can use whatever we have to multiply it. He can change the water to wine. I mean, I've seen miracle after miracle throughout the Old and New Testament. God is our provider. He can multiply the seed that's in your hand. But you need to trust Him. You need to trust Him. Abraham saw God's provision of the ram, but he had to trust God in that process. We need to trust God. Abraham was so convinced that even if he slew Isaac, that God was going to raise him from the dead because God was the keeper of His word. And God says he God says in this passage that I love verse 9 that his grace will abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. <clears throat> Do we trust that? <clears throat> Anytime a pastor says that we a lot of times we think the pastor's asking for money. <clears throat> no, I'm not asking for money, I'm trying to get money to you. <clears throat> Give to every good work. Do you think this is a good work? Then sell. <clears throat> but I'm not asking you to sell to make me rich. I'm asking you to sell to make you rich. <laughs> this is how the kingdom works. Hopefully I'm making sense. If you can get a revelation of this. That God is our provider. I'm not talking so much about finances. I'm talking about trusting God. And, and Jesus says, and there's a whole teaching, trusting God in finances is the least thing that we can trust God with. And if we can't trust God with the least thing, finances, we're going to have a hard time trusting with what's more important. I want to conclude with this. Go to be the uh, first Peter, or second Peter, chapter 1. Beginning with verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, and of Jesus our Lord. And his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we've been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through us. There's a lot in here. I'm not going to piggyback on everything here, but we're talking about God revealed. We're talking about God revealing Himself through the seven redemptive names of God, and more specifically this morning, we're talking about Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. The Lord is our provider. And it says here that grace and peace is multiplied to you in the knowledge, in the relationship of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has, past tense, given to us all things. There's that word all. All things that pertain to life and Godliness. We're talking about God revealing Himself as our provider. 
And it's in this knowledge of Jesus, our Lord, in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord, that God has provided everything we need for life and for godliness. In the knowledge of Him. But we need to know Him. In Christ, in knowing God, in knowing Jesus, we are equipped for all things in life and godliness. We, in knowing God, in knowing Jesus, we don't lack anything in life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness is provided to us and is multiplied to us in grace and, grace and peace in the knowledge of God. So that we, it goes on to say, so that we can be partakers of His divine nature. There's many aspects of the nature of God, and we're going to be going over these in seven nature in 77 redemptive names. But the one that we're talking about this morning is God as our provider. The nature of God is that He is our provider. How are we not talking about that? Jehovah Jireh. God our provider. But when we know God and Jesus our Lord, and we receive all things that pertain to life and godliness, we can be partakers of His divine nature. Not just the partakers in the sense that we receive the provision, but partakers also in the sense that we become a provider ourselves. That makes sense? Where God is working in us and through us, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not here and there. The kingdom of God is within us. <clears throat> and Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but a Christ who lives in me. Christ <coughs> is providing for me that God, Christ is using me, the temple of the Holy Spirit, to be a provision, a channel of provision for other people. God wants to use your life as a testimony, as a lighthouse to minister to other people. You want, he wants to bless you in the process, but He wants to use you for His purpose. You know, we're talking about provision, and I'm closing. But it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But if you ever read the story of the Philippians, the church of Philippi, that, that Paul was writing to here in Philippians, of all the churches that uh, Paul started, and all the churches that Paul ministered at, there was only one church that ever supported him financially. And that was the church in Philippi. And the church in Philippi was the ones that Paul was saying these words, My God shall apply my, your, need, your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That was a promise given to those who were supporting Him in ministry. I believe that promise regardless, but at the same point in time, it was made to those who were, who were partaking of His ministry. That makes sense. And so, so this, 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 this goes in, in, in perfect order what we're talking about this morning. That way, you know, if I want to see God supply my needs according to His riches, according to Christ Jesus, I need to trust Him with my finances. And if God tells me to support a ministry or a pastor or some, or some other work, because I can have abundance for every good work. <laughs> we already talked about it. We already established that. God is my provider. Not just so I can meet my needs, us for no more. That's a very selfish attitude. 
Maybe you say, I don't need more provision. I'm more fine. But again, that's a selfish attitude. If you have enough, praise God, but continue to get more so you can bless those who don't. Let God use you. And you, if God, if you will allow, if you will trust God to use you, in the same way God trusted, Abraham trusted God even to raise Isaac from the dead, even with your finances, my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I trust the word of God. I trust God's view on finances. Go with me as we close to Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to close from here. Genesis 14, verses 19. I'm not going to read the whole context because I'm out of time, but I'm, I'm, I'm running out of time. This is a story of after Lot got himself into trouble with Sodom and Gomorrah. Sorry, it was around that time, but he got he became a captive. Sodom became a captive. Abraham brought a few men to go rescue him. And on his way back, the king of Sodom wanted to, to bless him. Abraham would not receive it because God is God is his provider, not like Sodom. But it's in this also this this uh, this scene that Abraham comes in contact with Melchizedek. And that's a whole other teaching. I'm not going to go into all of it right now. But Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's a priest. And then we'll pick up verse 18. And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, bought out bread and wine. What's bread and wine? Resemble communion, the Lord's table. It also represents more, specific, more specifically Jesus and his sacrifice. Okay? And he, Melchizedek, was the priest of the Most High. <clears throat> and he, Melchizedek, blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, and he, Abraham, gave him a covenant, a tithe of all. We teach us with tithing, and we can we can uh, learn about this a lot more in Hebrews chapter seven, as the writer of Hebrews talks about this and how we tithe to Jesus, who is after the order of Melchizedek, not after the not after the priesthood of Levi. The law. There's a whole teaching on that. But I love, I love this verse in verse 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be the Abraham, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. More specifically, I just like this phrase. The Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and we're talking about God revealing himself. And we're talking about more specifically the seven redemptive names of God. And today we've been talking about the first name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. This Jehovah Jireh is the God most high. And he is the possessor of heaven and earth. The blessing came from this God. 
Jehovah Jireh. It didn't come from this other earthly king. It came from God, the possessor of heaven and earth. God is our provider. We talked this morning about Jesus, God being our provider. He provided himself a sacrifice, Jesus. <coughs> We've also talked about how we can trust God. We don't need to be worried about natural things, but we just trust God. And we do what he says. Even if we don't take anything with us and obedience to his word, knowing that God is our provider. Even with that, we have to make sure that we knew it was God who told us. But we know that we know that God's told us to go do something. And he told us how to do it. And we can trust God. God told Abraham he would have a son through him all the nations would be blessed. He trusted God would keep his word even if he had to kill Isaac and God would bring Isaac back to the dead. He just reasoned that out. He just trusted God. And God is our provider. But if we can trust God, we can have that relationship with God, then God in and through us, his children, his church, his temple, he can provide for other people who might be in need. Hopefully that makes sense. God has revealed himself. God revealed his nature. Because if God reveals his nature, God also reveals who we are. And as God reveals who he is and who we are, God also reveals and tells us what we are to do. I'm tying this into all three of these names. That we find out who he is. We find out who we are. And we find out also what we're supposed to do. We, God is our provider. Who are we? We are his children who are trusting him and him alone. And he, in us and through us, is also providing for other people. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to trust him. And what, and what does that mean? Doing what he says. Including, because God has given us all sufficiency for all things. Whatever God has called you to do, and called you to be, God has given you enough sufficiency to do it. As Lawson Purdue says, I can do what God has called me to do, and I can be who God has called me to be. If you know what God, who he is, and what he's called you to do, there will always be all sufficiency for all things that you may abound in every good work. If there's a good work, I'm preaching the gospel, then we will abound in every good work. Whatever God has called you to do, we you will abound in every good work. And God is your provider. God is your source. God is your sufficiency in all things. Hope we are making sense this morning. I'm not sure how clear it came across. But uh, I, I just know God is my provider. And I will be like him as I see him as he is. Lord, I just worship you. I magnify you. <clears throat> Lord, I hope, I pray by your spirit you will make the revelation that you made so clear in my heart, so clear in the, 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 the ears of those who are hearing my message today. We worship you. We magnify you. And we thank you that you are our provider. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for giving us all sufficiency in all things. We thank you that if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you said you will take care of all my needs. 
We thank you that, Lord, we can trust that my God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We thank you we can trust you. We thank you we can count on you. We thank you that you are our Lord, and you are Lord our provider in all things. We worship you. We magnify you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock as we talk about the true nature of God. Amen, amen. God bless.